And good evening, everyone. Uh, this is a special edition of Beating the Odds with Beeb. I'm uh, Maestro A, a milk car. And uh, yeah, Joe and I just wanted to go live today to discuss some things that we were talking about over the weekend, things that took place this past week. Uh, there is going to be an edition of Ringside Reporter. It's scheduled for tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so just tune into that. Make sure you tune into that. But Joe and I, we wanted to get cooking uh, tonight just with some topics that we feel are worthy of discussion. And Joe, thank you for having me on your channel. Really appreciate it. Awesome to have you, brother. Love chopping it up with you. Thank you so much. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about Shakur Stevenson defeating Jeremiah Nakathila uh, last night. Not really a much heralded opponent coming in out of uh, Namibia. What were your thoughts on the fight, Joe? You know, Shakur Stevenson's getting a lot of heat. And um, the thing is, is people have an opinion. Everyone knows what they like, okay? We talk about different styles of boxing. Nobody likes to get hit. But as I said several times in the past, there are some fighters who look like they're overly concerned about it. And you can actually tell that they're really overcautious about it. And they're thinking about it a little bit too much during the fight. This, now, Nakatila we, Nakatila, we knew had a great right hand going in. Um, but the thing is, is Shakur Stevenson was so much faster and his defensive re reflexes are extraordinary. The way he can just see the punches coming and react to them instantaneously, so quickly, um, that's, a, that's a special gift that really can't be taught. That's something you're born with. Teofimo Lopez is another guy that has that quality. But the thing is, is when I watch this guy fight, it's like he's playing a game of tag in there. He's, he, as soon as he touches his opponent with a, with a sharp jab or he's able to shoot off a quick right hook, the moment the punch lands, he's already looking for the escape route. So he has no intention of actually following up. Like when you see a guy throw a jab and he really wants to throw that jab with, with, with mean intent, or at least he wants to throw an authoritative jab to knock his opponent off balance so he could get the upper hand and he could step in with another power shot. You don't see Shakur Stevenson really thrusting off that back foot, bending with that lead knee and pushing in with that jab. He's like he's like basically throwing flicky type punches out there, almost in an amateurish type fashion. And I'm not saying he's an amateur fighter, but the same amateurish mentality, you know, when you're in the Olympics or when you're in amateur tournaments, you're looking to score points. And this is the type of mentality I think Shakur Stevenson has. Um, again, he was he knew the guy had a big right hand. But as the fight wore on, we were six rounds in, and the guy really never landed that big right hand on you. So what were you showing this guy uh, so much respect for? So the way I looked at it is, you know, he thought he could fight this way, and with 100% certainty fighting this way, he knew he could win, right? But the thing about that is, Maybe if he stepped on the gas a little bit, not even not even stepped on the gas, but fought with a little bit more intent to be more offensive minded. So maybe that 100 percent goes down to 95 percent chance of certainty of winning. Now, is it worth risking a little bit to get a more, a more positive result, to get a stoppage, to, to make the fight more entertaining? Now, obviously, you want to win first. 
But after, like I said, after a while, when when it's wash, rinse, and repeat, round after round after round, you got you, you got to get the sense that you know what I'm in control of this fight. Maybe I can do a little bit more because there's not much coming back at me because because of his his speed and his timing. It's it's almost like when you see a guy in a batting cage when you, when he's using that machine to, for the pitch to come in. It's different when you're going up against a pitcher. You could see his wind up and you could actually see when the ball's being released. But when you're in a batting cage and you have that lever going over, it's not the same as facing a pitcher. So it's harder to time when that ball is going to come out of the lever. That's the same type of thing with Shakur Stevenson. It's hard for his opponents to time when those shots are coming out because he's so quick and because his timing is just so great. So he had that advantage over this opponent and he didn't seem to be in any danger at all. So as the fight were on in the later rounds, there was no reason to be as so defensive minded and so cautious because there really wasn't any threat in there. Obviously anyone can land a punch or whatever, but you have to play the percentages. You were six rounds in, the guy never landed a significant punch on you and you could touch him whenever you wanted to. Every move you made, every feint, every little step you took, he was flinching the guy. He couldn't, he had no way of getting a read on you. You were in control of that fight. So you had no reason to be cautious. No, you're absolutely right. And of all people, you know, one of the more cautious and defensively minded guys, Andre Ward, who's telling him, dude, like you got this guy red. Everyone here in the arena can see when he's throwing the right hand because he telegraphs it. It's his only punch. It's his only shot. You can go in. You can step it up. Tim Bradley was ca- calling on him to, to kind of throw pu- combinations. In fact, he was calling on both fighters to do that. They were both kind of, you know, one one punching each other. It reminded me a lot, believe it or not, of kind of Taekwondo that you see in the Olympics. It's like you land a punch, they stop it. You land a punch, they stop it, Right. Uh, there weren't any follow-ups by Shakur. And he was landing some great counter shots. You could see that they were stinging him with authority, his jab as well. And there just wasn't a general feeling, Joe. And I agree with you, any urgency that he needed to step up the gas to get that guy out of there. And I've seen Shakur fight live at the Garden. He is with top rank. He has been uh, shown over here in New York City quite a lot. And I like the kid. You know, I, I, I find him endearing in interviews. He's obviously a very talented guy, very hardworking, but he is not that exciting to watch in the ring. And in this fight, Nakatila was unheralded for a reason. You know, he he comes from Namibia, not exactly known as being a powerhouse for boxing in Africa like South Africa is, especially in the lower weight classes. Most of his fights took place there at the Wildhoek Country Club and Resort, okay, don't really know much about that venue, but I'm sure he benefited from, you know, a home crowd, a home kind of uh, environment. He did step out and fight in Russia once. He got a majority decision draw. That possibly could have gone the other way. It was against the Russian. But he hadn't really fought anyone that we can kind of recognize. Any stern test, anyone that would have told us that he would have been kind of a challenge for a Shakur Stevenson. And what he didn't do, is what Ricardo Mayorga did when he was kind of unheralded to a certain extent and burst out onto the scenes here in the United States and just kind of go for broke. I think that was his only shot. But I don't know about you, but I felt he was kind of hesitant 
to really go for it and pull the trigger. What about you, Joe? Once again, uh, both guys were were kind of hesitant. That's the thing. So when you're going in, in there with the guy who's reacting to everything you do and he's flinching, that that's a guy that's ready to be took, right? And, you know, you talk about guys overcoming adversity, right? And obviously, Shakur's never been in a position where he has to overcome adversity. But there's no danger there, and he's already concerned about it. So what's going to happen when that adversity comes? If he's so cautious now, right? Like when you look at a guy like Valdez, you look at a guy like um, Jamal Herring. These guys have been in there with much tougher uh, opposition than Shakur Stevenson has. They've been on, you know, on the brink in certain fights. They've been pushed. They've had to come uh, over and, and, and conquer adversities in their fights. And everyone talks about, oh, how he'll he's the best, Shakur Stevenson. He'll, he, he'll steamroll Valdez. He'll steamroll Herring. Both those guys are bigger than Shakur. And you can make an argument they're stronger than Shakur. And you can definitely make an argument. I think it's a clear point to, to state that they both hit harder than Shakur. And one other thing is both of these guys have the dog in them. They're, they both have that dog in them. They both have that killer instinct in there. They both are willing to take risks. They're both willing to go out there and take the fight from their opponent, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So what's going to happen, you could argue, obviously, Shakur's quicker. He may be more talented, but talent doesn't always win fights. There's a lot of other intangibles that go along, in, you know, along with that. Because Jamal Herring and Valdez are both talented too, but you know maybe Shakur is more talented than them. But how much more talented is it? Because could those other intangibles make up for the talent gap that Shakur Stevens Shakur Stevenson has over them? I honestly think Valdez beats Stevenson, and I and I'm I, I think. Herring would have a shot because of his size. I agree. Because, because he has the, Herring is is big and long, but he has, also has a very uh, good inside game too as well. And both, you know, Valdez is, is talked about as being just an aggressive guy, but he moves his head very well. He rolls shots beautifully. He knows how to fight out of a, a, a real sturdy, strong construct. He knows how to take shots and he is out of position his body where he's not getting hit flush he just knows how to fight up close and he is how to get in there he's not just bum rushing you he's jabbing his way in there he's throwing foot feints he's making you react freezing you and then he's sliding in he goes to the body he's varying up his punches we didn't even see Shakur throw body punches last night no and Valdez can also counter you effectively as well yes yes yeah. So physically strong. And I got to think, though, Joe, that Valdez also believes in his power. He believes that if he touches you, he could get you out of there. And I think there's a self-belief in his chin as well. I don't know if Shakur has that belief in his ability to take a punch. Because I feel like if he did have that belief and he believed in his power, that he definitely would have gone for it. Yeah. We've, no got, one... we've got a caller on the line, Joe. Go ahead. Let him in. D-Style, you're live. Betting with Beeb. Beating the odds with Beeb. How's it going? Hey, how's it going, guys? How's it going? I just wanted to say this really, really quick. Just really quick. Look, I hope it's quick anyway. If it's not, you can stop me. But uh, here's what I want to say. 
when it comes to boxing, I consider myself a boxing purist. I love myself a good boxing match, even if they're, even if they're not going to war. I don't mind a chess match. I don't mind any of that, right? But but here's the thing, like like what I saw last night with Shakur. That's not sweet science to me. That's not playing chess, right? If you get a chess master and you put him in there with somebody not in his league, boom, checkmate right away. Then they get it done. Like they don't drag out the game, you know. And you, you know, it's not what's done. And I think it should be the same in boxing. I think way too many boxing fans, for whatever reason, get very defensive about the sport. And and I used to be the same in a way. I've kind of grown out of it though. You know, we get very defensive. You know, we get very like, like, oh, it's you got to appreciate the art. And oh, what do you want? His blood. Oh, he he's got to go out there and do it. And, and you know, it's his life. And he, he like like you just want him to go out there and be entertaining until you get knocked out. Like, no, I want him to perform at a high level. Too many boxing fans get smug. Too many boxing fans put their nose in the air, all snot-nosed and, and, you know, popping their collar. And they're like, oh, if you appreciate the real science, if, if you appreciate boxing, you appreciate what, what your core Stevenson did. Like, like, nah, bro, maybe if that was against – like, if that was Oscar Valdez who was doing that too, okay, you know what, I'll give him a lot of credit for that. But that's, that, that wasn't Oscar Valdez. That wasn't a Brichelle. Okay, this was somebody who was very predictable that he should have destroyed. He should have gotten a checkmate early because, look, yeah, the, the guy was adding single digits the whole fight, right? Well, guess what? There's no better defense than knocking a dude out or getting him out of there because you get him out of there in the third, fourth, third or fourth round, guess what? For, for the rest of the fight, you get hit 0% of the time you're no longer in danger that that is the best defense out there but that's all i wanted to say guys yeah no, absolutely. i have to get that off my chest you know and and here's the thing you you we've had fighters like andre ward we've had fighters like pernell whitaker we've had fighters like floyd mayweather who were labeled as uh defensive fighters Ooh. and they were analytical fighters they were guys who were thinking fighters but you would always see there was moments in the fight where they would step in with the hard shot to keep their opponent honest, let them know, hey, man, there's something for you if you want to try and step to this. 100%. You got to get, you can't be throwing punches and, and not bending your knees and not even stepping in with your, like that, that hook that he knocked him down with, he didn't even follow through with that. That was a cuffing, slapping hook. And then you, I don't know if you know this, but he was on Twitter later and he said, oh, I apologize for my performance. I was a little bit under the weather. Mm. I don't know, man. Was he was he under the weather, man? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, don't, know. I don't know either. And look, I'm a huge Rigo fan. I've been a Rigo fan since he was a, an Olympian, an amateur world champion. I think he's one of the most talented boxers of, of all times. And Rigo took a lot of heat for fighting a defensive style. But Rigo has gotten most of his opponents up out of there. Because he, he stepped in with that left hand. When he when he saw that path there, he would step in with that left hand. Exactly. So that's a southpaw to southpaw comparison. I mean, the one time I think Rigo kind of stunk it out, it was really because of Joseph uh, Agbeko not really turning up the offense. I was at that fight in Atlantic City. He wouldn't engage. He wouldn't engage. Another example, different division, much heavier division, not a southpaw, 
but Vladimir Klitschko. Vladimir Klitschko fought very cautious. But look at his KO ratio, Joe. When he got a guy hurt, when he realized that a guy couldn't hang in there with him, and this is the third iteration of Klitschko, obviously, once Emmanuel Stewart took over and he fought that kind of uh, big man style that, that Emmanuel teaches his big guys to use, they're using their bodies, etc. He got guys out of there in mid-late rounds. So Shakur, I think, should have got, got uh, the guys out of there. I, I want to ask you about this too, though. Uh, what is with these referees inserting themselves in these fights, Joe? What, what is with that? You can't. You're you 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 can if you want if you're a referee, but you're not supposed to to take points away for incidental contact, intentional contact that is a foul. Yes, each and every time, as Andre Ward uh, clearly stated and correctly stated very well, each and every time they did make contact with their front their front uh, foot, their front feet together, right? They would feel it and then and they would kind of you know correct themselves. Yeah. They didn't need to be, watch the feet, watch the feet, watch the feet, watch the feet. That referee. Celestino Ruiz is his name. I don't even want to know the guy. I was hoping to forget his name. I don't even want to know this guy's name, right? But here's the thing. He was irritating the fuck out of me. Imagine what, what they were going through in that ring. As Andre, Another great point Andre Ward uh, made as well is this guy's distracting the fighters. He's 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 not. A, they have to focus on what's in front of them, and he's all they're hearing is watch the feet, watch the feet, watch the feet. He really blew that out of proportion. Okay, he absolutely did. Horrible referee. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's uh, you know it just happened right after we saw Kenny Bayless like overly inserting himself. Las Vegas specifically and Nevada more generally. This is the place where, like, the big fights are supposed to occur, right? Where the best of the best fight each other on the biggest stage. Can they not get better referees in this? I mean, yeah. it's the best that they can offer. I want everyone who's listening to this show to look at the fight that took place, uh, I believe it was December 31st, but it would have been January 1st uh, for us. Ayoka Tanaka. Great fight. I think it was a master class in refereeing. Uh, Look up the referee in that fight. I think he did a tremendous job. He only stepped in when he had to. And at the very end, he actually saved Tanaka from landing uh, with his head on, on the canvas. His name is Michiaki Someya. That is how you referee a fight. I don't want to see you in the fight. You got Kenny Bayless is too handsy. And you got this dude, Ruiz, who's like got a foot fetish. Like, why are you watching these dudes' feet? I mean... They kept saying it. It's Southpaw, Orthodox. This happens all the time in boxing. He was threatening to take a point away. Like I said, fighters in situations like that don't need to be reprimanded. They're going to correct the issue themselves, which they did. Every time they felt their, their feet making contact, they, they each moved it out of the way. You know what I mean? And it, like, like Andre Ward said, like Tim Bradley said, like Joe Testor said, if it's intentional – that's one thing, but it was an incidental contact, and it was really blown out of proportion. Really blown out of proportion. It was horrible. Absolutely. So let's move on to the undercard, Joe. And um, Jose Pedraza took on uh, up and comer in Julian Rodriguez in a fight that was set up to be kind of a crossroads. Right. Right. You got the grizzled veteran looking for another shot at the title, and you've got an up and coming younger gun. 
uh, looking to make a name for himself on the backs of uh, a, a solid vet in Pedraza. What were your thoughts on that fight, Joe? Well, if you want to talk about fighting uh, a smart fight and being defensive all in one, like showing a, a real well-rounded performance and being, you know, a, a real comprehensive performance, that was Pedraza. Because in stark contrast to the to the Stevenson fight, Pedraza was actually stepping in with the jab, right? And he was adjusting the jab. He was throwing it from, from the orthodox stance and the southpaw stance. He busted up Rodriguez's eyes, both of them, right? And here's the thing about, about Pedraza as well. He has a way of really changing up the trajectory of his punches when he when when the distance changes. He, and he could do that real quick. So when Rodriguez was coming close to him in the mid-range, he was able to still throw the jab. Like we, we used to call in the gym, it's like a half jab. where you It's almost like when you shorten up a right hand, you can shorten up a jab the same way. And he would when he was in the southpaw stance, that jab was more of a power punch. So when Rodriguez did close the gap, what Pedraza was able to do was to, like just shorten it up and just throw it like a real, like like a half a half jab, a mid-range jab. Didn't have to fully extend on it, but he put more of the shoulder and the elbow into it and 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 the front the front um, hip, and he really like that, and he threw it as in a power as a power punch. So he was throwing the jab not just as a setup punch or a range finder, but also as a power punch. And he was, as as the announcers were saying, he was varying up the attack. When he when he was cl up close and, you know, Rodriguez's game was to fight on the inside, he was able to fight with him on the inside. He was ripping those those body shots and really digging in and, and, and really getting up underneath the rib cage into that solar plex area and hurting Rodriguez, making him think that, hey, you want to stay in there with me? You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna have to feel this, right? So he fought a smart fight. He moved well. He was dis defensively responsible, but he was also offensively responsible as well. He didn't abandon the offense because he's he if he fought the way Shakur Stevenson fought, this kid would have kept trying to step to him and and would have tried to be the aggressor. Rodriguez was trying to be the aggressor. But um, Pedraza would not allow that. He was dictating the pace. He was just so versatile, and the attack was just so varied. It was it was never. We talk about pattern fighters. There was no pattern fighting at all from Pedraza. He kept changing up everything, giving this kid a multitude of looks. Absolutely, a the, multitude of looks. Jab alone, he was. He's throwing multiple jabs. He was throwing it at short range. He was throwing it on the retreat. He was attacking with it. He was doubling it up. Yeah. I think he's looked a lot better personally since moving to 140. He had yeah. that loss against Zepeda. He's come back now with three straight wins. I actually think he should get a rematch with Zepeda. I don't think Zepeda looked that good uh, yeah. in his last fight. Yeah. And, yeah, he's, he's using those, those, those veteran tactics – and he would not allow the kid, Rodriguez, to get into even the mid-range. Anytime he tried to get into the mid-range, he either had him thinking with feints, with foot movement, with a stiff jab, uh, like you said, or with that short right hand. I thought it was a really masterful performance. We got a call, though. Area code 773. You're live on air uh, with the Beeb. How's it going, bro? What's up, boy? How you doing? Good, good. 
man, I gotta say, I was always a boxing purist. I always, I try to be, oh, uh, he's, he's doing, he's winning the fight. He's, he's, uh, it's up to the other opponent to make him work, this and that. But at some point, I'm just like, you guys gotta step it up. You gotta, this is prize fighting at the end of the day. Put on a show. Make it a little exciting. I'm watching these guys, um, Devin Haney and Shakur Stevenson, point fighting, fighting off their back for a jab, and it's just, um, do they really think that's what boxing fans want to see? The majority of boxing fans that are willing to pay, buy pay-per-views, this and that, that's not what they want to see. And all you hear, you see the hardcores and say, oh man, it's, they look good, they're so technical, this and that. No one cares. The vast majority of boxing fans do not care. They want to see a show. They want to see a fight. They don't want to see you point fighting from the outside. And that's what I'm seeing from these two fighters. And I've seen it with Haney in his last fight a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Shakur Stevenson in his fight this weekend. It's just it's a turnoff, man. Major turnoff. What do you guys thought? We, we, we agree with you, brother. We were pretty much in agreement with you. We were saying uh, very similar things before you before you called in. Yeah. I, I, well, the thing is this. When you're able to hit a guy at will, and every little feint you throw, every little step you make, or sound like freaking Bobby Brown here, every little step you take, but, <laughs> but any, every little move you make, the guy's reacting to you, and he's flinching, then you, you're pretty much in control of the fight. And there's no reason to be overly cautious once once you start seeing the guy behave in that fashion. When you can touch the guy anytime you want, but you're throwing one punch at a time, when your hands are so much faster than the other guy, when your feet are so much faster than the other guy, when obviously we're not in there, but it didn't take a rocket science to figure out that you had one guy way up here in skill level and another guy with all due respect way down here and i'm not that's not to take a shot at anyone but it's just basic observation absolutely and you, you know? had a guy who had one trick going into this fight one one punch right hand, right hand punch and it was a trick that he telegraphed you know it's a poker player showing you his cards you know it and stevenson read this d style said it earlier i don't know if you heard this caller but he was saying that look you can understand that performance if it's against a Valdez, if it's against a Burchell, if it's against kind of that high-level, elite, world-class competitor. But that was not this in Jeremiah Nakathila. He was dealing with a very basic, very rudimentary guy out of Namibia who'd only fought once outside of his home country and who was really stepping up onto the big stage and really couldn't really compete there but Shakur Stevenson let him compete by get, letting him go 12 rounds. Yeah. Anything else, Colin? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and it sucks because I was always the um, the pure standpoint of, you know, because I watch UFC too, and people always say they get mad at wrestlers for taking someone down and hold them. I'm like, well, if you don't want to get taken down, then you can work on your wrestling. And Shakur Stevenson, if you don't want to, the boring fights and even make them work and get in, get in, inside, but I'm done with that. I, I want to see some action, and I'm not going to defend any dudes doing the bare minimum squeaking out decisions because it's getting real boring, real old, but I'll leave you guys to it. Thank you so much for calling in. Appreciate it. 
Yep. So look, so far it's zero and two, um, or two and zero, I should say, in the callers in terms of how they feel. Yeah, about no one, no one was happy about that fight last night. They, 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 they expected more, and um, they thought more was going to happen. They thought that Shakur could do more. So also on the undercard was uh, Zender Zayas, the hot teenage prospect, eighteen-year-old kid out of uh, Puerto Rico. He had another dominating win. He's looking very good. He's still undefeated. Tim Bradley (laughs) made the very bold statement that this kid is the future of boxing. I don't know about that, but I think he's very talented. What are your thoughts on on Zayas, Joe? Lots of potential, but the great thing about Zayas is he's got a good head on his shoulders, and and he realizes that – there's still a lot more to do, and he's willing to continue to grow. So he's not – he's getting a lot of praise put on him right now. And he's not really eating that up. He's taking that and appreciating it, but he's also has the mentality and the mindset that I still got a lot more work to do. He's not resting on his laurels at all. That's what I like about the kid. I, I love listening to him in interviews. Obviously, I love watching him fight because he's just a dynamic, explosive fighter very smart kid very experienced kid nice and relaxed and poised in there you know um just just knows as tim said he fights as though he has a lot more experience than he really does things that he's doing in there the way he's just taking his time the way he's um you know throwing the right punches at the right times to set these shots up that just shows that you know he has a lot of um a lot of intelligence in the ring we could see that already. More intelligence than you would anticipate from a kid his age. How old is this kid? Like eight? What is he? Eighteen-ish or something? Only like that? eighteen years old, and yeah. he's doing what he should be doing against the level of composition that he's facing. Yeah, yeah. Not keep knocking uh, Shakur, which is what we would like to see Shakur do. Look, I'm a teacher by trade. You know, we provide constructive criticism. The criticism here to, uh, about Shakur is not to belittle the kid, is not to make him feel bad, is not to say that he's not talented. We just want him to live up to his potential. And his potential is a lot more than what he showed on Saturday night. We've got another caller, Joe. Area code 718. Maybe you're in the Bronx like me. 718, you're live with the Beeb. How's it going? Yeah, how you doing? How you doing? This is Oscar. This is Solomon. How you doing? What's up, brother? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing. I'm doing great, man. Yeah, you 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 guys are right about that. But the thing is that he also felt that kid's power. That kid caught him with a couple of shots. So he he wanted to be cautious. You know, the, the guy had a punch in his pants. The guy was a C class fighter. Um, he, they think the biggest problem with that fighter was that you know he comes from an African circuit, and um, he, he didn't lack of quality sparring. The kid was in shape. He was well conditioned. He went to a round, but he. His lack of quality sparring is what, um, and like he said, like uh, the, uh, the other gentleman said there, he just, just started on that level. And um, fighting a guy like Shakur, a gold medalist, I mean, I'm a uh, Olympic fighter and an ex-champion, I mean, it, it started the show. And um, and once he tasted some of the kid's power, he backed up and just boxed the whole 12 rounds because he, uh, he, he always wants to get a, a title fight. He, he just got an interim belt. And he wants to move on to bigger and better things. So uh, it, it was a pretty good boxing show. I mean, uh, I think Top Rank put a pretty high-quality uh, event there, especially with the sniper, Jose Pedraza. 
Um, he's another gentleman right there. He's getting a lot of quality sparring. He's living good. He's, he's been there. He's a two-time champ, two-division, four-quality opponent, and he showed him his fight. The other guy had, you know, he had some tap in his hands, but, like, um, the thing that's affecting these fighters is they want to go to the top stage with lack of quality sparring, you know? Uh, everybody want to be like Floyd, but they don't want to see that Floyd, when he was on the come-up, and he, when he was on a champ, he was fighting high-quality sparring partners, had the best trainers in the world at the time, and he always kept himself in shape, and and always kept on learning. That's what made him a champion like he is, to, to be uh, the greatest fighter uh, in modern-day history. So um, that's what these guys got to do. Uh, they got to look at, use him as an example. Uh, thanks for putting me on. Um, I'm, I am from the Bronx. Oh, and uh, you got to have a great show. Thank you, you How you man? All right. You, what do you say, at my bro? What do you say, at my bro? I'm in, I'm in the South Bronx, uh, right near the stadium. Oh, yeah. So, me, I'm, I'm a little more time at Kingsbridge, man. Okay. But we're close by. Absolutely. Uh, you got a good show, buddy. Uh, all right. You, you so, too. you take care, all right? Absolutely. Okay, bye-bye. You take care. Suleiman's official, man. He's official. Absolutely. I love Great. that, dude. Great call. So, let's move on to some big news this week, Joe. Uh, we were talking about this. Uh, I was talking about it on my show, Mano a Mano, live Mondays, 8 p.m. with my partner, Kenny T. Uh, you can also catch me usually on 8CP with D-Style. And also, every week, Thursdays, 8 p.m., with the man right here, Joe Habib, on D-Style Boxing's Roundtable. And we've been talking about this for a minute, man. All of the news about Floyd. Floyd was robbing banks. Floyd, you know, uh, was making all of this money. You know, we heard figures like $100 million. Uh, We heard figures like $30 million just to put uh, logos on his shorts. You know, uh, he robbed the bank, the bank being the fans. He went into people's pockets. He took that $50 for the pay-per-view and then bragged about it afterwards. Uh, reports this week, Joe, are that he got robbed. Uh, so two questions. One, what is your view uh, about the boxing media right now? I think they act like PR people, uh, regurgitating whatever certain fighters, certain managers, certain promoters that they want influence with. Uh, they just repeat their stuff, uh, much like a PR agency. So what are your thoughts on that? And second, what are your thoughts on kind of Floyd getting robbed the, the week after saying that he robbed his fans. Well, well, here's the thing. You know, there's so much hypocrisy in the media and in boxing fans as well. Everybody wants to talk about, oh, why are you counting another man's pockets? Everybody counts everyone's pockets when you think about it. If you play the stock market, you're counting the pockets of, of, of the performance of the companies, right? So you're counting pockets there. And when they, you know, when you listen to other sports, what is the news always? Oh, this guy just signed a five-year contract for $10 million, whatever. People always put their numbers out there, right? Everyone's always talking about what people make. So that's just part of news in general. So just because we talk about it and it offends you, I mean, come on, you should be used to that by now if you actually watch the news, or if you listen to sports in general. Everybody talks about what people make. That's just... Not not to cut you off, Joe, but also the people who make that criticism, don't they 
friggin' understand that the reason we even mentioned this is because Floyd mentioned it? Well, that's what I was going to get to, too. The, the, the athletes themselves are always talking about how much they make, and they're letting you know how much they make. So we're just talking about that. But here's the thing. When we fact check somebody, don't call us haters because we're telling you something that you didn't, you were hoping wasn't true. You wanted, a lot of you guys wanted to believe that Floyd was making $100 million for the fight or making $50 million for the fight. But he really didn't make that much because it was reported that he had a $10 million guarantee, right? And he got 50% of the pay-per-view, right? So we don't even know. I guess WBN came out and said that that Floyd made far less than the hundred $100 million that was being touted out there. They said $30 million. Mine, I'm, I'm, I'm speculating more along the lines of 25 ish Whatever the case may be, will be, why do you care? Because the guy, because it's being reported that he's making four times what he really is. I'm just fact-checking. Why can't I fact-check? What, like, why, do, why are we supposed to just allow people to, to put out misinformation? The media does that enough. Why should we just sit back and allow it to happen? Well, why do you care? Because I don't like when people put out false information. I would rather hear the truth. I think most people want to hear the truth, right? Yeah. So and- I, I care about the about hearing the truth. And you know what bothers me more than anything is the boxing media just puts these numbers out there and they don't even do the research. They don't do any fact checking because they just want to put that $100 million number out there. Why? Because it sounds sexy. It yeah. makes the event bigger than it is. It gives them clicks because the story is more enticing. It's more it's more enticing and more sexy to say a guy's making $100 million instead of making $25 million. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, look, there was a time when the journalist was the person that you were kind of fearful of uh, because they'd ask the tough questions. They'd report on the facts that you didn't want out there. And now it just seems like, again, a lot of these journals are just PR people. They're just an extension of the PR campaign. And as it relates to Floyd, people got to understand that whenever Floyd is confronted with a semi-critical, semi-serious question, which is very rare, his response to any kind of criticism about what occurs inside the ring is how much money he made. And how rich he is. And now he's laughing uh, all the way to the bank. And now he robbed the bank. Uh, well, as soon as you put yourself out there, now you're open to being criticized. As soon as you say, well, yeah, whatever, I got paid. It was a sparring session. And, uh, you know, I robbed the bank. And I made $100 million. Well, Joe Habib's going to question that. Maestro's going to question that. d going to question that. And then we're going to discuss it. Because you don't need to have a PhD in calculus to understand that those numbers never added up. They just didn't. They just didn't add up. And um, sorry, go, Joe, go ahead. I was going to say, how, how ironic is it that the guy that's bragging about performing illegal bank robbery gets robbed himself? So this is the thing. Like rich people, when you look at rich people, they're the most sued people in the world, right? They're the most robbed people in the world obviously, right? Because they got the money. So most rich people don't like to tell you what they have because they don't want you to sue them or they don't want you to rob them. So why is this guy always telling people and advertising people what he has? He's basically inviting others to sue him or rob him. 
by doing that. And he's got all the, the entourage keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. He keeps taking the crew on these shopping sprees, right? So people are seeing how much money this guy has. Maybe he's spending more money on one of his friends or someone else in the entourage than the other. So then the one member of the entourage will get jealous of that other member of the entourage. And what's he going to do? Oh, when, when the, I, I have access to this guy's house. When the, when the cat's away, the mice will play. I'm going to rob this motherfucker. That's, that's, that's what these guys are saying. And, he, and Floyd's snitching on himself because he gives these big tours to his big baller mansion in Nevada. He allows the film crews in there. You know, he shows them where the jewelry is. He shows them where the, the, the $10,000 handbags are that he buys his women. Right? He shows you where the shoe collection is. Right? He, he, like, he snitches on himself. So if you're a robber, you already know that you got to go into the front door, take a left. That's yeah. where the shoes are. You, yeah. take a, you take a right. That's where the jewelry is. You go upstairs. That's where, the, that's where the shoe collection's at. Right? I mean, come on, man. And I mean, you got to think, if you're one of his flunkies that's probably not getting paid, and you're like, wow, he just bought this chick uh, a $30,000 handbag, he's not going to miss a little bit of Miss Jewelry. He probably's not even keeping track of all of this. And it's funny because a few years ago, I remember someone, I think they got beat up really bad by was like his security team, and like the rumor was that he had stole from Floyd, so... It's not the first time that this is. Oh, had- he's been stolen from before a lot, a lot of times, bro. It's not the first time, right? And I mean, chain snatching is a thing, you know. Like, look it up. Like, people always get chain snatched when they're flossing their jewels. Uh, Floyd is no different. I just found, just as you did, Beeb, that it's pretty, pretty ironic that that happened to him, right on the tails of him bragging that he robbed his own fans. And, right? and, and you want to, we want to hear the kicker. He's telling he's telling the great people of Las Vegas that if anyone has any information that could lead to who who did this robbery, I will give you a hundred thousand dollar reward. So now he's asking the great people of Las Vegas to snitch to snitch uh, to snitch for him, right? These are the same people that you insulted by by saying you're robbing them. So why are they going to help you after you got robbed if you're making fun of them for getting robbed? I agree, and look. Uh- uh, Chandler M says off topic, but did y'all notice on the latest Showtime thing with Charlos? Seems like Charlo, he's talking about Jer- Jamal Charlo, the, the 160 champ, is living way beyond his means. Uh, yeah, I mean, it looked like a pretty expensive place that he has. You got a bunch of Rolls Royce cars and everything. Um, I mean, things are cheaper in Texas than they are here in New York, that's for sure. Uh, but I do think that Floyd has started a kind of cultural thing and it's pretty, I don't know. It's pretty bad where like athletes have to show off uh, their, uh, their wealth on these boxing documentaries to me, the fight montages and and preview shows that I grew up watching Joe were all about road work and sparring and heavy bag hitting and the life struggle story. Right. That that's what it was always about, you know, with the dramatic music in the background and, you know, footage of the guy knocking out people in his last fights to get you hyped up. Now, I mean, half of these shows just focuses on cars and how big a guy's places. You know, you want to hear something crazy? So obviously, you know, about the last dance with Michael Jordan. Right. So originally, when they were putting that together, they were going to actually go to Michael Jordan's house and do that. 
Michael Jordan said, I don't want people to see the inside of my house. I just don't feel comfortable with that. So he they actually did that at, at another person's house. That's not Mike, Mike. That wasn't Michael Jordan's house that they filmed that in. So this yeah. is this is a guy who, who's who's a billionaire. This is a guy who makes 100 million a year just to let Nike use his name. Thanks. He never he's not he doesn't take people on tour. He don't want people to know what he got. Because he don't want to get robbed either. He don't want to get sued either. Please. He don't want people popping out of the woodwork saying, "Hey, I'm, I'm that, that's my that's my fucking baby's daddy or some shit like that." Nobody like even the even the old mobsters back in the day, they never bragged what they had. Bro, they, they, they always hit everything. They hit everything. Remember like that? Houses. Yeah, remember the movie Goodfellas. When Jimmy was yelling at all those fucking people, once they did that that big heist, they were out buying crazy shit. He's like, "Take it back, take." It back. <laughs> take well, that's why the old time. That's why the old time mobsters never liked John Gotti, because John yeah. was the first one that like showed wealth. Yeah, but everybody, all of the big time mafiosos before that. I know this is off topic, but I'll just finish on this. Lived in like regular working class houses and working class neighborhoods, but were sitting on millions and didn't flaunt it. Exactly. But yeah, it's like now you watch these preview shows for fights, and you know there we see him getting a car delivered. We see his palatial estate. You know, it's but 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 here's here's the thing, Emil Carr. This, this, things have this, changed. Here's here's the thing, Emil Carr. There's a bunch of very um, naive people who who are just obsessed with Floyd Mayweather right now, and 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 they're and they're yelling at this screen right now, saying. Oh, all you guys are hating. You're just jealous because he's got more money than you. Okay, Michael Jordan got more money than me. Magic Johnson got more money than me. Shaquille O'Neal got more money than me. Bill Gates got more money than me, right? Charles Barkley got more money than me. I don't hate on. I don't say anything critical of them. You know why? Because they don't act stupid. They don't say stupid. Well, they sometimes Charles Barkley. Sometimes Charles Barkley says stupid things, but he don't friggin' basically give you the. Give you a tour of his house to let and say, hey, here's where everything is, so you can come rob me. You know what I'm saying? These these guys, Shaquille O'Neal's got got businesses and shit. They got crazy endorsements, right? Absolutely. So so they don't they don't play celebrity basketball games one on one with fans on pay per view because they don't have to do that shit. So I, I, we don't we we don't criticize these guys, right? We're we're just making observations about when someone says and acts in a in a in what I feel is is a, is a dumb way, I'm just giving you my analysis on it. I think it's dumb to sit there and tell people that you're robbing them when you're selling an event to them. I think it's an insult. I think it's a slap in the face. I also think it's dumb to show the whole world where everything is in your house, so when someone so someone could break into your house and then they can just go where that is and they can steal whatever they want to steal from you. I think it's dumb. Absolutely. Now, if that if that's hating by Having some some common sense and some logic, I mean, it's just a cop out. Whenever you say something that someone doesn't want to believe or hear, the cop out is, oh, you're hating or you're jealous. I'm not jealous of Michael Jordan. I'm not jealous of Shaquille O'Neal. I'm not jealous of Bill Gates. Jay Z is a billionaire, right? You don't see him 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 giving people tours of his house. You don't see him going on Instagram telling you what he has and how much money he has and bragging. I mean, you're 40, you're 44 years old. You've been rich for a while now. The, the shit should have set in by now. Like it shouldn't be like such a, such a, uh, a shock to you. Like you, you acting like you just got this money. Like, you know what, it, I mean? you know what I'm saying? It's interesting you saying that too, because I was listening to an interview when people asked him about how he sees himself now. 
And he's like, well, you know, it's all about the next generation. I want to help the next generation become the best that they can be. And I want to tell them how to save their money. I was like, really? You want to tell them how to save their money? That's what you are trying to impart on them? You've been doing the opposite of that uh, since you became Money Mayweather. You know? Listen, this is my opinion. No one has to agree with it. He's just not a likable person. He just isn't. I mean, I don't think he I don't think he stands for anything good. I just don't. That's just my he's a great boxer. I never taken I've never taken anything away from his boxing accomplishments or his career. My criticism of it of him is just the the person. I have no problem with the boxer. I don't yeah. I don't like the person. But here's the thing too. Oh, well, it was just an exhibition. Why are you criticizing him so much? Was it really just an exhibition? If if you could win, name name an exhibition where where you could win by knockout. A real exhibition, you can't win by knockout because the, it, it's an exhibition. Yes. He he specifically put that stipulation in the rules because he wanted to knock this kid out. There was a fucking line. There was a, a line in Vegas on who could knock each other out, and the and the line the line said to the to the betting public that they believe. That, that there was a 91% chance that Floyd Mayweather was going to knock this young man out. Floyd Mayweather was on Instagram and told his fans, bet the farm, I'm going to knock this kid out. So don't sit there and tell me, oh, it was just an exhibition. When this, when Floyd Mayweather was visibly trying to knock this guy out, you could see it in rounds three, four, and five. You yeah, could see it. That, and that alone is why I feel, and I don't like Logan Paul. I got no reason to root for him, but that is why I feel he won the fight. I mean – even before you get into scoring the rounds, he went the eight rounds in a fight that was set up for him to get knocked out. That's a even, win. That's even, a- if, even if you did score the rounds, you could you could legitimately give him rounds one, two, and eight. He's not supposed to win three rounds against the best boxer of our era. No. That's not supposed to happen. No, not at all. We've got a caller, Joe. Area code 805. You are live with the B. How's it going? Uh, good. Beeb knows me. What's up, Beeb? Nacho! Orale! Nacho, I've been <laughs> listening to you for years, Nacho. How's it going? Uh, not too bad. Um, yeah, uh, regarding last night's, uh, fight, I don't know. It's tough. To me, Stevenson is, he's got talent, but at some point, somebody's got to talk to this kid about having to be at least a little bit entertaining. I mean, at some point, you got to make people want to see you fight. And if you're going to go the route of UD12, then you can't turn around and complain that, uh, you know, people are ducking you or people don't want to fight you because, you know, you're high risk, low reward. At some point, you got to take that into your own hands and and force people to have to fight you. Like the way uh, Marvin Hagler did, uh, in the documentary I just saw with, uh, you know, the Kings, he, he ended up forcing these guys to have to fight him. And sometimes these guys nowadays, they just feel like a sense of entitlement and like they should be given stuff instead of trying to earn it. And I mean, <clears throat> I don't know what top Ryan's going to do with him. I think he's probably going to get uh herring next, which should be, you know, an interesting uh, fight between the two. But, uh, if he if he stinks up the joint against Herring the same way he did last night, 
he's never going to get a guy like Oscar Valdez. That's for sure. Um, and then the other fight uh, with uh, Rodriguez and uh, Pedraza, I was surprised that Rodriguez fought the way he did. I honestly thought he was going to be a little more, <clears throat> a little more cautious at the beginning and try to gauge to see what Pedraza had. And I was surprised that he wasn't really um, as, uh, you know, he didn't try to box. He just tried to be aggressive and, and come out and, you know, go after him. And, and um, I just thought that Pedraza took him apart pretty easily. And I was surprised that uh, some people are complaining about, uh, you know, uh, Rodriguez uh, not having uh, been given a fair shot to continue. But, you know. It it is what it is. I think the kid is talented, but I think this was too big of a step up for him at this point. Like he had been out for a while. They gave him a couple of tune ups, and then he he decided he wanted to take on Pedraza, which I was like, oh it's a, wow, it's a tough, so tough guy to take on at that stage of your career. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that's a huge jump to make from the two guys that he had fought previously to taking on an ex world champ. So I was surprised he got the fight, but, you know, I think it's a lesson learned for the kid, and he goes back to the drawing board, and uh, we'll see what happens. Um, and just real quick with the uh, – you guys were talking about it right now with the that fiasco of an exhibition from last weekend. Um, it, it's hilarious. Like, Beeb's been talking about this the whole week, and the Mayweather supporters have just come out in droves, like, saying that uh, – you know, every time B mentions something, they just automatically, uh, like he says, move the goalpost back each and every time. And, I mean, it's a good thing it was an exhibition and it didn't count because I can't even imagine what these guys would have done if Floyd, like, really lost the fight. I think they'd be as bad, if not worse, than the uh, Wilder supporters. Like, you'd be hearing all these crazy uh, conspiracy theories and, like, all this other nonsense that you'd be like, wait a minute, like, what is going on here? So, I mean, uh, you know, good for Floyd getting his money, but at the same time, he knows, uh, like in the press conference they showed after the fight, you can see he knows it's over. He literally admitted as much by saying, I'm not coming back and fighting a real fight, and I'm not so sure I want to do any more exhibitions. So... I think deep down he knows it's a wrap. And people still thinking that this is the Mayweather from 10, 12 years ago, that it's going to, you know, be a reality check. Uh, having seen that, that, you know, he's a 44 year old man whose reflexes have gotten slower. You know, he's not, uh, he doesn't have the fire to really train and he doesn't have the desire to get hit anymore. So, you know, I think they just have to come come to grips with it that he's done and and they need to move on and I agree. you know uh, find somebody else to cheer for. I agree. And, <laughs> and for all of the people that are making excuses, oh Logan Paul was so big. Oh Logan Paul was thirty pounds bigger, thirty five pounds bigger, forty pounds bigger. I mean the number kept going up and up. And oh yeah, he was doing a lot of holding in the fight. He was holding Floyd. Look, I got to be honest with you, bro. Uh, a 42-year-old Manny Pacquiao, I think he's going on 43, he would have slept Logan Paul, without a doubt. He would have slept Logan Paul. 
And there would have been no need to make these excuses. But it's been a, you know, nonstop excuses uh, about why Floyd didn't look good in this fight. And you mentioned conspiracy theories. I want everyone to check out my, my man G Funky Boxing uh, later on. He's got a video up where he shows how Floyd's glove, okay, a lot of similarities between Floyd's glove and uh, Tyson Fury's glove in the Wilder 2 fight. I thought that that was pretty interesting. Not saying that anything was wrong with Floyd's glove. There wasn't. But it was interesting that um, there were very, a lot of similarities between between the gloves. Uh, any Anything else you want to add, uh, Nacho? Uh, basically, I'm looking forward to this upcoming weekend's card. I think that should be a lot more interesting to watch than what we've seen the last couple of weekends, to be honest with you guys. I'm curious to see uh, Beck the Bully fight Gabe Rosado. And I'm curious to see... Um, uh, you know, Lopez and Cambosos, and then uh, I'm forgetting the other card. The monster, there's a, there's the a monster in a way, bro. Yeah, there you go. In way coming back and, and fighting his, you know, his mandatory. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, but yeah, that's pretty much it. You, I'll mentioned, just, you, uh, mentioned, you yeah. mentioned Mungia? Did you mention him? Oh, no, but I think he's going to beat uh, Zermeta. I don't think Zermeta is much of a test. It's disappointing that uh, Suleki fell out again. So, I mean, to me, Zermeta's a he, he's there. He's tailor made for Mungia. I think Mungia gets him out of there. To be honest, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you for cool. your call, uh, Nacho. All right, and, uh, make sure you yeah. tu- make sure you tune in tomorrow for Ringside Reporter Live. Joe's going to be back with Eric tomorrow night. Oh, <laughs> all right. I'll see you. Awesome. Take care. So, Joe. Uh, now that we actually mentioned this, I don't know if I've ever, before we get to the next topic, I just thought of this. I don't can't remember a time where there have been not one, not two, not three, but four major fight cards on the same day on four different networks. I mean, and if you want to add in the uh, Chavez Jr., Camacho Jr. fight, we now have five. I mean, you got Camacho Jr., Chavez Sr. You've got uh, Munguia, Zerometa, that's two. You've got Charlo uh, Montiel, that's three. You've got Inoue Desmarinas, that's four. And you've got Lopez Gambosis, five. That's insane. Well, here's the problem, too. If you have a choice, if you're a boxing fan, this is what, this is where Trilla really effed up. They put that fight on pay-per-view. And there's so much free boxing on. Seriously. That, that's going to really hurt those pay-per-view numbers. If, if they weren't already going to be hurt as is, right? Yeah. That, that's going to that's gonna be horrible. You can literally watch Charlo Montiel for free because you can get a free so, a Showtime uh, trial for a month. They always throw those out. That's yeah. a free fight to watch. In yeah. a way, Desmarinas is on ESPN. That's a free fight to watch, you know, and the zone, most of us have that. We got Mungia, Zerometa there. This pay-per-view is going to tank. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be horrible. There's no way they're going to make money off this fight. No, no, no. And what do you, what do you think about Tiafimo after all the drama <laughs> signing back with top rank? Yeah. I, you, know what, you know what I'm thinking why he did that? was because he knows that top rank's got, a, got all the 140-pounders. 
That's that 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 could have been a big reason why he wants Josh there. Taylor. He wants Josh Taylor. Yeah, he wants Josh Taylor. He sees Josh Taylor is the easiest route to becoming undisputed in two yeah. weight classes, which would yeah. be truly totally unprecedented. And if Top Rank did up his his minimum, which which I'm hearing there's rumors and reports that he, they did, then maybe it's a win win for him. Who knows? Well, I'd personally like to see him take on Haney next, just to clear that whole situation up. Yeah, and Bob, then. And Bob, then, Bob, Bob's poo-poo on that fight, though. Yeah, I know, because he wants him to fight Lomachenko in a rematch. I'd rather see him fight Haney, personally. Uh, I would, too. Two young guns go at it, and then let's see the winner take on Josh Taylor. Undisputed versus undisputed. Because Haney and Teofimo Lopez have both said they're not going to be at 135 for much longer. Yeah, I'd love to see the Haney fight, because everybody is just like so high on Haney right now. And uh, he needs a big fight, and this would obviously be a big fight, right? This would be the, the big name. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. A, a young gun just like himself. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'd watch that fight. And that would, to me, do better on pay-per-view than the Gambosis fight. I, 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 think, I think so, too. And, and Haney's actually a pretty good draw in Vegas. He, he drew a pretty good crowd, and it was during the pandemic. So, yeah. you know, shout out to H-Money. H-Money's a big, big proponent of of Devin the Dream Haney. And uh yeah, let's hope let's hope Haney gets a big fight. Now B, one of the many things that we have in common, all right, we're both civil servants, we both love boxing, right? We're both on the East Coast and the Northeast. We also both we also both have ties to the UK. Strong ties. Strong to ties. specifically. So uh we gotta go in and talk about this fight that took place in Newcastle. Right in in northern England between uh, uh, Lewis Ritson and the Argentinian opponent Ponce. Um, before before you go in on it, I, 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 I'll follow up with what you have to say. I think Ritson pretty much predicted a tough fight when he was talking about how we got a gift in his last fight. Uh, very few fighters say that, um, and he got hit with a body shot first round he never really seen the recover and Ponce just had his way with him to me off aggression alone wasn't the most skillful performance but he beat him with will and aggression and and you know constantly moving forward uh throwing powerful shots in in bunches what were your thoughts on the fight Joe well, well I'm gonna contradict myself a little bit here because I I always say this when someone says oh well why did why did he allow him to do this why did he why did he let him do that why didn't he throw more punches? Why, 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 why? People always try to oversimplify things in boxing, thinking like it's easy in there, right? And I always say, no one just wakes up and says, I'm not going to throw uh, a lot of punches today. No one's going to wake up and say, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to let this guy hit me, whatever. Everyone wakes up with a plan. They don't go into the ring sometimes and just allow people to take control over them, right? There's a plan there. But the thing with Ritson was – I. The way he was talking about this guy, Ponce, oh, well, he's going to get tired. Well, he has no power. It was almost as if he was, I'm not going to say letting the guy hit him, but he was almost letting the guy come to him and be the aggressor because he wasn't really overly, or he, it meant, you know, he was saying to himself, thinking that maybe from other fights or whatever, I mean, he was in there, he was feeling the shots. But he was saying this guy doesn't really have 
a lot of power. So I'm not really concerned about what's coming at me. And also, he's throwing a lot of punches. There's no way he can do this for the whole fight. Yeah, 12 tough rounds. But here's the thing. Even if a guy's not a big puncher, he hits you enough times. The cumulative of effect is going to wear on you. And, you know, when he did get hit with that body shot and he went back to the um, the corner after the, after the first round, he said, oh, this guy has no power. But it clearly looked like that shot had an effect on him. So maybe he had more power than he, than he thought he did, but he was just trying to kind of cover that up a little bit. But the way he was laying on the ropes and just holding his hands up there instead of grabbing and trying to freeze the action or grabbing and spinning out, he, he, he didn't make an effort to stop that onslaught. And another thing with Ritson, too, is he's not a, a, a great inside fighter. Now, he does find himself in there a lot of times because he he seems to think that he that he, he you know he's better on the inside than I really think he is, with all due respect, because he seems more of a mid-range guy to me because when he was up close, um, Ponce was really ripping those shots up underneath the rib cage, really landing those shots in, in, yeah. in, the, in the, the correct – the upper the, hook to the body. And he was landing those shots right under the rib cage where they could do the most damage. Now, when Ritson was up close like that, he was landing shots on the side, the side of the, the hips and stuff, really not areas where he could hurt Ponce. And he seemed like he wasn't really getting the leverage. He seemed like he was his punches were being smothered. So this guy was blanketing him with pressure, but he was still throwing quality punches. He wasn't just... You know, you know, barreling his way in and and just being uh, aggressive without really having an intent, he was putting shots together and landing cleanly. Yeah, I, and I think that's a great point, Joe. His lack of use of the clinch, like a lot of boxing fans don't like the clinch, but guys, the clinch is part of boxing and it serves multiple purposes. One, you disrupt the rhythm of your opponent. All right. Two, (laughs) you're stopping yourself from getting hit, which is important. And three, which is something that I think would have benefited Ritson if his plan was to take Ponce into the deep waters. And if he truly did feel that the prolonged fight wouldn't benefit Ponce, when you're clinching a guy, you're squeezing on his arms, right? You're leaning on his shoulders, right? That takes a physical toll on somebody. He didn't do any of that. So... Ponce was able to go rounds because he didn't really have that kind of resistance in front of him. He didn't have anyone disrupting his timing. He didn't have anyone uh, blocking his his punching that much. And he didn't have anyone wearing him down. So, and, and then he, let's, let's go to the finish because I've only seen this happen twice. I can't remember the other fight I saw this happen in. But it was also in England where the trainer throws in the towel the referee picks up the towel and is like, fuck that shit. Towel out of the ring. These guys are going to continue to fight. What were your thoughts on that, Joe? Um, I like that referee, that British referee. He's a good referee. We always shit on referees. I like that referee because technically the only the doctor or the referee can stop the fight, right? You can't throw the towel in it. Remember, remember in the Cotto uh, – who did Cotto fight? That, um, oh, who's that guy? Uh Yuri Foreman. When he fought Yuri Foreman and Yuri Foreman's corner through the... Yankee Stadium, right across the street from me. Yeah, he, Yuri, Yuri Foreman's corner through the towel and Arthur McCanty threw the, took the towel and threw it out. Most 
referees, when they see the towel go in, they'll stop the fight. But they don't have to do that. People don't realize that, right? Yeah. But Mercanti should have stopped that fight. I mean, Yuri Foreman's knee. I don't know if you remember the fight, but Yuri, Yuri Foreman blew his knee out. Yeah. His, his fight was his fight. His, his, he was like wearing a brace and shit. Yeah, his knee was gone. He could not even stand on that leg, and Mercanti just let the fight go on. It was it was ridiculous. But yeah, I mean that was the other only time. I think there was another time too, but very rarely do you see that. I I, I you know I, about that one. I kind of like that when a referee does that because it, it, you know he should be in control of that fight. You know he should be in control. Now if the cornerman steps up on the ring apron, a lot of times the, the you know the uh, the officials around the ring won't allow that to happen. But if you remember in the Peter McNeely fight, yeah, they went right up on the apron. That's an automatic disqualification. Yeah. Yeah. So you could do that too. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't really have a problem with the referee doing that. I, I think that um he wanted to stop the fight when he wanted to stop the fight. So it is what it is. Because because the fighter did say he was okay. And, and and he was hurt, but he what when that towel was being thrown in, he wasn't being hit by punches at that particular time. But the writing was on the wall either way. But I, I actually do like that. He's one of the few referees. Um, that I do. Who's the other referee? Steve Willis, the guy that makes the faces. I love, I love that guy too. There's only like, like two or three referees that I actually like. I, I, I don't. There's a lot of referees that I don't like. I think like um, Steve Smoger was another guy I loved. Little Steve Smoger, he was an awesome referee. He actually used to do uh, seminars and teach referees how to how to be good referees. And I interviewed him once. He's a great referee too. But there's a lot of referees that leave a lot to be desired, in my opinion. But I, I liked that move actually. I did. Yeah, well, I, I said it earlier in the show. My favorite referee is a Japanese dude. I wish they brought him over here more. Uh, Michael Somega, uh, the guy oh, okay. that read the, the uh, Kosei Tanaka Kazutu Ioka fight. I thought he did a tremendous job in that fight. And yeah, I felt it was a little premature, uh, the stoppage. It was interesting that the ref kind of agreed with that because um, uh, Ritson was actually complaining when the towel came in. Yeah. Well. yeah. And, and so it was actually a referee reacting to the fighter as well. Now, speaking of fighters, right, there's an undisputed champion in the sport of boxing. We've had multiple people now in the chat asking for your opinion on this, Joe. Clarissa Shields stepped into the octagon. According to at least one boxing journal, she's the only person that ever had the guts to do it. Um, Why don't we discuss both of those things? What are your opinions on... Clarissa Shields entering the octagon and also kind of the hyperbole that kind of surrounds that event and that that challenge that she set for herself. Well, obviously, I'm I'm a casual MMA fan, but I was impressed with Clarissa Shields, how she was able to do some some uh, takedown defense when um, that young lady was I forget the young lady's name, but she's trying to take her down and she she stuffed her a few times. That was that was impressive. Uh she got out of the armbar. That was impressive. Uh, she was able to fight away off off the off the canvas, and uh, then she came back in the uh, third round and did what she did. And and you know she she was very relentless, and she just kept punching, and she wasn't going to be denied. I don't know if you heard this, and I need your opinion on this. Um, there's a few people that I talked to, and, and and they were saying that the fight was fixed. I don't have an educated enough eye at least in that sport, to tell if something's fixed or not. But everyone was saying, well, you know, 
when a girl is in that position like that and she's not grounded and pounding, then something's wrong, this and that. But I've seen a lot of people be in the dominant position and they're just not comfortable throwing strikes. They're not, they're just not like, like Damian Mai is, an, is one of the name that comes to mind when he would mount guys. He, he wasn't a guy that would just let loose and just, you know what I mean? He would try to submit guys in that position. So I don't, I don't know the girl's background. I think she was three and three and six. Well, I don't know. That, that I was going to say uh, in re- regards to that, if the fight was fixed, it was fixed in the matchmaking. You know, yeah, I would, yeah. I would, so I, I don't know. That's why I, I defer to you because you you know a, a lot more about MMA than I do. So I would I would defer to you on that. Do you think that that, that fight was fixed? I don't, did anything, did I don't, anything look fishy to you in that fight? Is what I think fishy to me. I was actually pretty impressed by Clarissa's toughness and getting I out. I was of- I was impressed too. Attempt. I'm not the biggest fan of the UFC. Is a lot of people that have heard me talk about MMA yeah. know. I don't like their business model. I think it really exploits the fighters. I, I agree. Boxing does. Uh, not even close. Uh, but yeah, once you look into her record, she went in with a record of three wins and six losses. Uh, so she went in there to be a showcase opponent for Clarissa Shields, and that's exactly what she she was. And She's clearly someone who's learned to lose, uh, learned to accept defeat, uh, knew that she wasn't the bigger star in this promotion. Uh, Does that mean the fight is fixed? No, uh, not in terms of her just handing over a victory. But I think that, much like in boxing, you can set up a predetermined outcome just by the matchmaking, and I think that's what happened here. I mean, she wasn't taking on Amanda Nunez, guys. You know, she was taking on... uh, a woman who has a losing record in this particular sport. And that and that opponent did not look like a great striker either. She looked no, more she uh, looked more of a of a grappler type. Specialist. Yeah, she's a jujitsu specialist. Okay. Clarissa Shields was lighting her up with the combos, like which is yeah. why she tried to take it to the ground. Yeah. Because um, me being the layman, I was very impressed with Clarissa Shields. So was I. You know, so you know the one thing I noticed too is how strong she is in her lower body. The way she was able to thrust up off that canvas with her legs and her and she mentioned this as well, the, the the way she was able to shift her hips onto that uh that young lady's body and really shift her weight on there just by you know her hips and being able to twist her hips and punch with leverage while she was on the ground like that was very impressive to me. Yeah, I mean, there there was a lot uh, there uh, that was impressive to me. Her physical strength and her toughness uh, being too. I mean, she didn't really exhibit that great skill on the ground, but she got out of bad situations using her toughness. And actually, she was throwing punches from a a position of being on the back, which is not something you see very often because obviously you throw your hands up like that, someone can catch your arm. And it's a catch-as-catch-can at that point and, and a submission. But, yeah, overall, I got to give her a, a pass, uh, A-minus maybe on that performance, only because of the quality of opposition. So let's let's segue into Marcos Viegas' comment. Yes, there you go. So what was the actual tweet? He said that Clarissa Shields is the only boxer to have the guts to step into an MMA match under their rules. Meanwhile, he forgets about Holly Holm. He forgets about Amanda Serrano. He forgets about Heather Hardy. He forgets about Ray Mercer. He James forgets Tony. A, James Tony. Um, 
He forgets about Jeremy Williams as a guy who was undefeated at MMA, who was not allowed to even compete in the UFC for whatever reason. And um, that's another guy. And the, the fact that he had to say, have the guts. So it doesn't take guts, as you as you brought to my attention, you made a great point. It doesn't take guts to step into a boxing ring. It doesn't take take guts to do what Manny Pacquiao does or yeah. Errol Spence I mean, does. And the logic of that statement, Manny Pacquiao doesn't have guts because he's taking on Errol Spence and not going into the octagon. Yeah. Seriously? That not only was an incorrect statement it was a very insulting statement and a very ignorant statement there were there was no argument he could make to defend anything he said in that tweet and no. he continues to sit there and double down and triple down on it just take the fucking tweet down bro you embarrassed the fuck out of yourself by saying that i'm amazed that it's still up i mean we've all take that fucking thing down it's gonna haunt you for the rest of your life yeah, we've all sent out tweets where, like, 10 minutes later, you're like, you know what? That probably wasn't a good one. And you just delete it. I mean, why? And, but here's my thing, too, though, Joe. This is, like, one of the few major YouTube outlets that I actually follow with, like, a high level of respect up just, until this statement. I just lost it all on this one. Like, one statement yeah. he made just ruined it for me. I agree. I mean, he went from being fight hub to fight hype. In one tweet. Yeah. Horrible. You, you might as well be Boxing Ego or one of these other dudes with, with a huge following that just says a whole lot of shit. Yeah. Now he just he stepped into the realm of tribalism. And I didn't think he was ever going to go there. Yeah. I I just didn't get it. Uh, again, it it's Jornos acting as a PR arm for fighters. I mean, there was just no reason for it. That. And it was presented as a factual statement, which it was absolutely not. Yeah, it was bullshit. It you was know. horrible. It was horrible. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if you have anything else that uh, you wanted to say. I know you got a big show lined up tomorrow. Yeah, Joe. we pretty much covered it all, man. I really appreciate you coming on. and Because, uh, I, I, you know, I I, I knew we were going to go on Monday, but some, but sometimes I don't like to wait. I was kind of like itching to talk about boxing tonight and i was just glad that you were you were willing to come on and, and uh you know give me give me share share your time with me man i really appreciate that and it's great for the for the um people in the chat and the people watching the show to get another perspective because you you're a great analyst in your own right and you have a great take on a lot of things and i'm glad that other people were able to see that so thank you so much joe and make sure you subscribe to um maestro's channel what did your channel is called maestro a right yeah, Maestro A Boxing. I just uh, dropped uh, the link is in there. Uh, yep. So you can click it, like, and subscribe. I go live Mondays, uh, 8 p.m. with my partner in crime, Kenny T. Uh, tomorrow we'll actually be following Ringside Reporter, which goes live at a special time tomorrow on Monday. Eric will be back with Joe. And uh, once you're finished tuning into that, step over to my channel. Uh, check me out with Kenny T. And after us... Uh, big night of boxing, just like Saturday, because after us on Monday, we're going to be followed by Hispanics causing panic uncensored with G funky boxing and D style boxing. So a big night tomorrow night. Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining and tuning in, man. We'll, uh, we'll see you soon, man. Peace out, everybody. Have a great Absolutely. night. Stay safe.